Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I am your host, as always, Huzefa. Hope everybody's having a great weekend. This is July 4th weekend. I'm having a pretty good one so far. I bought two lamps yesterday. It's pretty exciting. Not really. But hopefully we'll have some cool celebrations coming up today and tomorrow for the 4th. Today we are talking about Something that I'm sure all of you guys have talked about, all of you guys have wondered about for you, for your kids, and it's a test that's been around for quite a long time, and I think there's some mystery to to a certain degree surrounding this test, but people sort of, I, I feel like a lot of people don't know what's really on it, but they still defer to it as a general measure of intelligence, almost a an all-encompassing measure that's really not contested much. And I'm not here to contest it today, actually. I just want to talk about it and discuss it. And that is the IQ test. And when we call somebody a genius, I think that term is used in our society for different things. We might say that a certain musician is a genius or a certain painter is a genius because of what they're able to create. A, A even a teacher is a genius because of what they can do, so on and so forth. We use it just to imply greatness in a particular field. But really, when we're talking about genius, there's a specific classification for genius. It's a concrete classification, not necessarily because of what they can produce or what they can create, but based on it all comes down to the IQ test. Now, there are people that we might call geniuses because they've done amazing, incredible things. But according to the IQ test, according to this baseline criteria, they may not necessarily technically qualify. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything negative or positive or really anything. It's just a classification based on this test. But this test is talked about all the time. We throw out, hey, this guy has an IQ of that, and we're very impressed. But I think a lot of people don't know what it's all about. So today, I'm going to talk about the IQ test. Now, just a little fun fact. My, uh, my school back in Michigan, I don't even know if they still do this, to be honest. But this is a school where I went my whole life. But that that's what they use for their admission criteria, is you have to take an IQ test and get above a certain score to get in. Even when you're a little five-year-old kid, I, I had to take it. I don't remember anything that was on it. But they make all these all the kids take an IQ test before coming in. Now, I know a lot of schools in California, they don't do that, but they make you take the ICE, especially when you're coming in for whether it's fourth grade and above. So it's just something that some schools use, and it's talked about all the time, and I wanted to get into the nitty-gritty and discuss it. I found some really cool articles talking about IQ. I'm even going to give you guys a sample math IQ question just for fun. And we're going to end the show with a list of the top 10 people alive today with the highest IQs in the world. And I think this will be interesting too because we can see what they do, how they 
got their scores and 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 really some in some cases it translates to people who have done incredible unfathomable things that are just so beyond what I think we think is even possible in some cases is not not exactly the case so I think it's interesting to recognize this and and just understand that hey the you know know what it is understand what it tests and it certainly has some value but I'm also going to read from an article that discusses why maybe an IQ test may not exactly test what we think it tests, may not predict success in the way we think it does, or may have other reasons as to why it is a good predictor. It's kind of interesting. So first, we're going to talk about what constitutes a person's IQ. The term IQ, or intelligence quotient, generally describes a score on a test that rates the subject's cognitive ability as compared to the general population. By the way, this is an article from HowStuffWorks.com, and I'm going to share the link in the show notes. IQ tests use a standardized scale with 100 as the median score. So 100 is like the average. When you get 100, you're kind of right in the middle of the entire population. On most tests, a score between 90 and 110 or the median plus or minus 10 indicates average intelligence. A score above 130 indicates exceptional intelligence, and a score below 70 may indicate mental retardation. Like, the, like their predecessors, modern tests do not take into account the age of a child when determining an IQ score. Children are graded relative to the population at their developmental level. Now, the theory is that if you take an IQ test at 5, or whenever I took it, and then you take it again at 25 it shouldn't change it should because again you're it's on the i don't know if this is true it's probably not true there's probably variation but relative to your age population the theory goes that it should stay constant that score shouldn't change okay so what cognitive ability what is the this cognitive ability being measured Simply put, IQ tests are designed to measure your general ability to solve problems and understand concepts. This includes reasoning ability, problem-solving ability, ability to perceive relationships between things, and ability to store and retrieve information. IQ tests measure this general intellectual ability in a number of different ways. Okay, so here are four things that they measure. One, spatial ability, the ability to visualize manipulation of shapes. And we see this all the time on, on the IC. We even see this to a certain degree on the SAT as well, ACT too. All right. Yeah. Mathematical ability, the ability to solve problems and use logic. And we're going to do a sample question later. Language ability, this can include the ability to complete sentences or recognize words when letters have been rearranged or removed. And memory ability, the ability to recall things presented either visually or orally. Questions in each of these categories test for a specific cognitive ability, but many psychologists hold that they also indicate general intellectual ability. Most people perform better on one type of question than on others, but experts have determined that for the most part, people who excel in one category do similarly well in the other categories. And if someone does poorly in any one category, he also does poorly in the others. Based on this, these experts theorize there's one general element of intellectual ability that determines other specific cognitive abilities. Ideally, an IQ test measures this general factor of intelligence, abbreviated as G. The best tests, therefore, feature questions from many categories of intellectual ability so that the test isn't weighted toward one specific skill. 
Because IQ tests measure your ability to understand ideas and not the quantity of your knowledge, learning new information does not automatically increase your IQ. Learning may exercise your mind, however, which could help you to develop greater cognitive skills, but scientists do not fully understand this relationship. The connection between learning and mental ability is still largely unknown, as are the workings of the brain and the nature of intellectual ability. Intellectual ability doesn't seem to depend more on genetic factors than on environmental factors, but most experts agree that environment plays some significant role in its development. Okay, so now now this article goes on to think about, hey, so wait, is is it stable or is it not? Can you increase it, etc.? And what it ends by saying is it says your IQ score is relatively stable no matter what education you acquire. This does not mean you can't increase your intelligence. IQ tests are only one imperfect method of measuring certain aspects of intellectual ability. A lot of critics point out that IQ tests don't measure creativity, social skills, wisdom, acquired abilities, or a host of other things we consider to be aspects of intelligence. The value of IQ tests is that they measure general cognitive ability, which has been proven to be a fairly accurate indicator of intellectual potential. There is a high positive correlation between IQ and success in school and the workplace, but there are many, many cases where IQ and success do not coincide. So it's pretty interesting. There's actually there's a really great book. I gotta, um, I'm going to have to pull it up for you guys in the show notes where it talks about all the elements of intelligence and really breaks them down and explains them. Like, for example, one of the things it talks about, I'm, I'm blanking on the exact name, but one of the things that this book talks about is what is what does it mean to be creative? Creative is such a vague term, right? Like we And we often think that it, it relates to the arts or it relates to being, being able to write creative stories, like fantasy stories, things like that. But it makes a really important distinction, and, and I think this is so true. I totally agree with this. Creativity, first of all, it's not limited to creative, quote-unquote creative endeavors like the arts. Creativity is the ability to pull disparate ideas and combine them in basically use them together. So for example, one idea, uh, one example of a, a creative idea is basically somebody coming to understand what adhesives are, saying, oh, okay, I understand this is a material that we put on something and it makes it sticky. And then saying, hey, look, we've got these nice pieces of paper here, understanding what paper is, and saying, well, hey, wait a minute. What if we combine these and now, and just at the top strip of a piece of paper, put this adhesive there, and now we got something called sticky note. And I just made up the first sticky note. Sticky notes were invented by an inventor at 3M, which is a Minnesota-based company. And so they say, hey, that's that's creativity. You're, you're taking two ideas from two different places and you are combining them to create something new. This is essentially the whole foundation of, of cre- inventing and getting a patent, so on and so forth where we combine two non-obvious things. But that's the general idea of, cre- of what it means to be creative. So you can see that spans to everything, that spans to engineering, that spans to math, that spans to science, that spans to art. So it's just that ability to, to basically have things that you see, know, observe at your head, in your head, where you can pull them out at your 
whenever you need to, or they're sort of all floating around and easily accessible. And when you're trying to think about something or problem solve, you can pull out these different pieces and combine them in new and unique ways. So anyways, I thought that's a great book. The And again, I'm blanking on the name, but it's going to be in the show notes. So check it out. I read it three years ago when I first started working in education full time. Uh, it was recommended to me by a teacher named Lyndon Nielsen. So it's a great book. All right, here we go. Next, we are going to read this other article that is talking about, so it's it's not exactly disputing IQ, but it's as far as a, a good measure of intelligence, but it's giving an alternative explanation as to why it predicts success. So what does IQ really measure? And this is in Science Mag and by a guy named Michael Balter. Kids who score higher on IQ tests will, on average, go on to do better in conventional measures of success in life, academic achievement, economic success, and even greater health. Is that because they are more intelligent? Not necessarily. New research concludes that IQ IQ scores are partly a measure of how motivated a child is to do well on the test. And harnessing that motivation might be as important to later success as so-called native intelligence. New work led by Angela Lee Duckworth, a psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania, and reported online today in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, explores the effect of motivation on how well people perform on IQ tests. While subjects taking such tests are usually instructed to try as hard as they can, previous research has shown that not everyone makes the maximum effort. A number of studies have found that subjects who are promised monetary rewards for doing well on IQ and other cognitive tests score significantly higher. So this is really interesting. This goes on to discuss this, this study, and what they find is they this article and this study claims that really the main factor is how much do you care? Right? How much do you care how and therefore how hard are you going to try? And that and that will dictate to a greater extent your score, more so than raw intelligence. But that will also then predict maybe what you will accomplish in life. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, and then this is just one study. I'm not saying I completely agree or disagree, but I have to say from a logical standpoint, it makes sense. It's the same I think the same thing can be true of standardized tests. Who wants to do better? Who, who wants it more is going to prep way harder and is going to come out with some really optimal results. It just makes sense, right? Like if you talk about standardized test preparation for the SAT, it can make such a massive difference. Now, every now and then you'll have somebody who can come in with very, very little preparation, almost no preparation, and get an extremely high score, let's say above a 1500. But on average, somebody's going, the people are going to come in who are going to get these scores, they're going to be willing to put in, maybe take 20, 30 practice tests, take a course, study on their own, do all these things that are going to make these significant jumps. And and guess what? The thing is, that jump, is it's, it's going to be the product of a lot of hard work. And they're not going to just apply hard work in this case. They're probably going to do that for the rest of their life. And that's going to translate to being able to do greater things or accomplish bigger feats going down the road. So I think this is interesting. I have, I am not sure if more studies have been done or what, you know, to what extent this has actually been shown, but I think it's food for thought. All right. So that is IQ. Now, what I want to do is I want to share with you guys one, if you're wondering what's on the test or if you've never taken one or seen one, 
This is just one. Uh, actually, you know what we're going to do? Let's do two examples. We'll do one math example and one verbal example. So here's the first question on a sample IQ test. This is from intelligencetest.com. And you can find a ton of these online. So it says, which number should come next in this series? So this is a sequence series question. 25, 24, 22, 19, 15. Okay, so that's the, these are the numbers that are coming up. And the what you need to do, this is really just pattern identification. You don't even need to know much about math to answer this. But basically what's happening is we it, it's going 25, 24, it's dropping by 1. Then it's going to 22, it's dropping by 2. Then 19, it's dropping by 3. Then 15, it's dropping by 4. So now you can see the pattern. So it says, what should come next? Well, it seems that it's dropping by 1, then 2, then 3, then 4. Now, so the next one in the series, we could only assume that it's now going to drop by 5. So if their last number was 15, your next number would be 10. So it's stuff like this. You're meant to basically look at these patterns, figure out the answer, and solve. You also have some spatial or visual ones, which I can't really explain on this show, but I'm going to give you a verbal one. It's kind of interesting. All right. <laughs> this is kind of cool. So it says, rearrange the following letters to make a word and then choose the category in which it fits. This is really interesting. Now you have to figure out what this word is, but then also know what this word means. So the letters are, I'll spell out the letters for you. And if you want, you can pause, try and solve it, and then start it again. So the letters are R, A, P as in Paul, E, T as in Tom, E, K, A. So give that a shot. See if you can rearrange those letters and figure out what that means. And when you're ready, the answer is, if you rearrange them, the answer is parakeet. Okay, so that's the word it spells, parakeet. And then you have to answer either A, is it a city? B, is it a fruit? C, is it a bird? D, is it a vegetable? So, of course, you would choose C for bird. That's the type of question that you might encounter on an IQ test. So the debate is still going. If you guys want to know more about IQ tests or maybe you have some information you want to share with me about your thoughts, please email me at Huzefa at Scalar Learning. Would love to hear that. Okay, now we're going to come to a kind of interesting part here. I'm going to go through the top 10 people alive today that have the highest IQs in the world. And we're just going to talk about what they do, where they're from, and all that. Some of these guys, you probably have heard of them. Okay, are you ready for the top 10 list? We're going to start at number 10 and move up to number 1. Number 10, Gary Kasparov. You guys have probably heard of Gary Kasparov. Gary Kasparov has totally amazed the world when he played to draw against a chess computer that could calculate 3 million positions per second in 2003. He's a chess grandmaster from Russia. At the age of 22, he became the youngest undisputed world champion by defeating then-champion Anatoly Karpov. So Gary Kasparov, he's arguably one of the best chess players in the world even today, and he is very bright. He's got an IQ of 190. All right, Philip Emigwale. And this is, these IQs are unheard of. Even if, if you have an IQ of 160, it's considered to be extremely, extremely high. All right, Philip Emigwale. 
is a let okay so Philip Mugwali is a Nigerian born engineer, mathematician, computer scientist and geologist who was one of two winners of the 1989 Gordon Bell Prize, a prize from the IEEE for his use of a connection machine supercomputer to help detect petroleum fields. IEEE is the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers. So very interesting. He also has an IQ like Gary Kasparov of 190. Okay, number eight, Marilyn Voss Savant. In 1985, so so far we have a chess player, we have an engineer. All right, let's move on. In 1985, the Guinness Book of World Records accepted Voss Savant's IQ score of 190. And according to her website, crowned her the the woman with the highest IQ for five consecutive years. She has tested as high as 228 on various IQ tests. She is a popular columnist for Parade Magazine. Through Ask Marilyn, readers can send puzzles and questions on different subjects for Voss Savant to answer, to solve and answer. Very interesting. A writer. Number seven, Mislav Predovic. The Croatian maths professor Mislav Predovic ranked seventh on the list of the ten most intelligent people in the world. He is the founder and president of the General IQ Society, an elite organization of some of the most intelligent people in the world. He is also the owner and director of a trade company, and he has an IQ of 192. Number six, this guy is actually a little bit famous, you could say, to a certain kind. He's no, I've heard of him. He's a, he's a very interesting guy. His name is Rick Rosner. Gifted with an amazing IQ of 192, by simply looking, Rick Rosner would not be thought of as one of the most intelligent people in the world. He has a rough and tough demeanor, having spent a number of years as a bar bouncer. He is an American television producer best known for creating the television show Chips. Rosner later developed a portable satellite television in partnership with DirecTV. So super interesting guy. I mean, he's done all sorts of things, and I'm going to talk about them briefly. He's also been a dancer. He's also been he's he's actually studied these IQ tests to a, to a high degree and taken them over and over and over. My understanding is he was studying them 20 hours a day at one point. He's been a contestant on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. He actually he he lost on a thousand dollar question. Can't remember what the question was. But he sued the show because he felt as though they made a mistake, but he lost that he lost that lawsuit. But he's a very interesting guy. There's some really cool interviews of him on YouTube. And I'm going to post a link to this article. This is on wonderlist.com. All right, number five. Now, this guy is awesome. His name is Christopher Langan. Christopher Langan is an American autodidact with an IQ reported to be between 195 and 210. He has been described as the smartest man in America, as well as the smartest man in the world by the media. He began talking at six months and taught himself to read when he was three. He has developed a theory of the relationship between mind and reality, which he calls the cognitive theoretic model of the universe. So I've watched a ton of things on this guy. He's so interesting. He had a tough life growing up, and he was he had a, he had a tough relationship with his father, and he even got he got bullied in high school because apparently a lot of the teachers would say why why can't to the other kids why can't you be more like Chris why can't you do your homework and study and do well like Chris and so the kids got jealous and they started beating him up. 
And he talked about how eventually he got tired of it, worked out, got a lot bigger, and then he could stand up for himself and defend himself. He eventually went on to go to college, but he found it boring and he felt as though he knew more than all his professors. He loves to read. He reads all the time. And he then dropped out and he's just been doing all sorts of different interesting jobs. He's been, he's worked as a bouncer also like Rick Rosner. He has worked in construction. He now lives on a ranch with his wife who also has a high IQ score as well. And what he does in his time, in his free time, he he doesn't just do like these jobs that he does allow him to think and contemplate his cognitive theoretic model of the universe where he basically asserts that the mind and the universe are one and it's i mean i don't claim to understand it i've seen him discuss it in in different interviews but it's just very fascinating and i you got to check out what he sounds like on interviews he's so such an interesting guy i actually want to have him on the show uh, to interview him about intelligence just about his life and about his theory but i'm having a hard time reaching out to him so if anybody knows him, please let him know. I would love to interview him. Such a cool guy. All right, so that's Christopher Langan. Number four, Dr. Evangelos Katsoulis. Katsoulis. All right, so known for his high intelligence test scores, Dr. Evangelos Katsoulis is a Greek national who works as a medical doctor and psychiatrist. He has earned degrees in philosophy, medical research, technology, and psychopharmacology. He is the founder of the World Intelligence Network, an international organization of high IQ societies and of the organization AAAA.gr, a pioneer voluntary team for the detection and support of gifted individuals in Greece. Number three, this guy is amazing. Number three, Kim Ong Young, with a verified IQ of 210. Korean civil engineer Ong Young is considered the master in child prodigy. At the age of six months, he was able to speak and understand Korean and other languages. At the age of three years old, he could read several languages already, including Korean, Japanese, German, and English, as well as solve complex calculus problems as exposed live on Japanese television. He was listed in the Guinness Book of World Records under highest IQ. This is crazy. I mean, the rate at which he ended up graduating college and doing all these things was ridiculous. I, if I remember correctly, he even turned down a full scholarship uh, to one of Korea's most prestigious universities in, I can't, I can't remember in what field, but yes, he, when I, he was really interested in civil engineering. This guy, he's truly amazing. All right, number two, Christopher Hirata. He had, Christopher Hirata was a genius from his childhood. When just 13, he made waves by getting a gold medal at the International Physics Olympiad. At the age of 16, he was working with NASA in its mission of conquering Mars. At, a, at the age of 22, he obtained his PhD at the Princeton University. Hirata is an authorized child genius, and currently he is teaching astrophysics in the CIT California Institute of Technology, and he has an IQ of 225. So that is really, really high. <laughs> All right, here we go. Number one. Number one is Terrence Tao, and he lives in Los Angeles. Gifted with an amazing IQ of 230, Terrence Tao makes it makes it to this list of most intelligent people of the world. He is an Australian-born Chinese-American mathematician working in harmonic analysis, partial differential equations, additive comp- com- 
combinatorics, not sure how to pronounce that, ergodic Ramsey theory, random matrix theory, and analytic number theory. At just eight years, Tao achieved a score of 760 on the pre-1995 SAT, received a PhD from Princeton at 20, and at 24 became the youngest ever full professor at UCLA. He received inspiring awards like the 2003 Clay Research Award, the Boker Memorial Prize in 2010, and Salem Prize in 2000. So he lives in Los Angeles. I actually also emailed him to see if he would be willing to come on the show and talk about some of the stuff, amazing stuff he does in math with prime numbers and so on. But unfortunately, he said that he has too many things going on. He, he can't make the show. But he would be such an interesting guy to interview. He's been on all sorts of shows like the Colbert Report, talk about his different theories and what he's working on. But such, a, such an interesting guy. Seems like such a nice and humble guy. So there you have it. We have these 10 most intelligent people in the world based on the IQ test. You know, some might argue that that's not the best test, but based on this measure, the 10 strongest in the world, we have a chess master, we have a mathematician, we have a writer, we have a doctor. So all across all, we have former bouncers. So we have people across all walks of life, very fascinating, but all very smart in their own ways and in their own niches. So hopefully that was fun. Hopefully you learned something Maybe you might go out and take an IQ test just to see where you land, but wouldn't take it too seriously, wouldn't worry too much. If you're already doing things, your things you like, and you're excited about education and learning, that's really what matters. And that's the most important thing, to just keep going after what you want to do in life. So if you guys want to check out the show notes where I'll have all these cool articles and even that book that the name is escaping me, I'm going to put all that stuff in the show notes. Go to www.scalarlearning.com. And again, you can email me if you have any questions or comments at huzefa at scalarlearning.com. Again, this summer, check back every day for new content, new episodes. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to this podcast. Please give me a rating if you like the show. That would all be terrific. I'll see you guys next time. Take it easy.